This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to Make Some Noise Mini Sewed at number 549. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here with me. And thank you for joining me every week. I hope that you like these mini-sodes. I really enjoy making them for you. It's, It's sort of weird to not have someone on the other end that I'm riffing with. I just pretend I'm talking to you and that I happen to be dominating the conversation. But if you were really here, of course I would. I would let you get a word in. Today, I'm actually talking about a listener topic. Uh, One of you submitted, well, a lot of you submitted several topics when we did our listener survey, which I'll probably do one again next year, but we did it earlier this year. It's 2023, by the way, if you're listening to this in the future. And I asked you all sorts of different things. And one of the things was, what kind of things do you want me to talk about? And one of you so generously gave me the topic of grieving changes, like kids aging and experiences you thought you'd have by a certain age. Oh, do I know both of those? I feel like that was such a relevant and relatable topic. So I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. And of course, I have some notes. I have, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a step-by-step process, but it's definitely some bullet points of things that will hopefully help you kind of go through that journey uh, of grieving those kinds of changes. Before I jump into the topic, I wanted to remind you that if you want, I still have some copies left. If you want a signed, personalized signed copy of one of my books, Personalized with your name on it. I'll write you a I'll write you a secret personal message. Well, that you you give me the message. So it's a secret between you and me. And if you want one of those, head on over to andreaowen.com slash links. I almost forgot for a second. I had a little bit of a brain freeze. Andreaowen.com slash links. That's where you can find really everything or most things. And that link will be in there for you to grab your copy. All right? All right. Let's get into it. You know, I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough, the grief around life transitions and life changes, partly because it's just like, well, it's just a part of life, right? We have these big changes and you just deal with it. You just roll with the punches. And many times we reserve the word grief for big things like someone dying or even really difficult 
breakups or the loss of a pet, divorce, you know, big life transitions or, you know, someone getting laid off or anything like that. I think that there can be grief. You know what? One of the things that I had grief around that I was embarrassed by and I felt like my person I was married to at the time didn't really understand and kind of made me feel weird about it. I had the same car. I bought a Toyota four-cylinder truck. And I had that truck from the age, I was 19, I think, when I bought it myself. Had a little bit of money and I put down down payment and I made those payments for five years, five or six years. And I had that, I paid it off. I had that truck from, so that was, let's see, I don't remember what year it was. It was a long time ago. It was in the 90s. It was in like mid 90s. I had that until 2007. So I had that truck for a long time. And that truck was more loyal to me than most of the people in my life. Never broke down, even though I changed the oil once every like 50,000 miles. Never never had a problem with it. And when it came time for me to sell it, the grief that I had around selling this truck that had just kept me safe and it was such a part of my life. And I also felt like it was kind of the end of an era because I just had a baby and just really wasn't a safe car <laughs> for for a baby. And it just, it meant a lot to me. And And I use that example because, yeah, it's perfectly normal to have grief around things like that. And a lot of times it's more than just getting rid of the car. It represents something in your life and it it can kind of bring up old stuff, other stuff. And I think that that is a big part of grief. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes it absolutely just is about the thing that you're having the feelings around, but sometimes it can be a it can be a layered experience. So before I get into this list of tools and kind of strategies, if you will, I don't want to say tips and tricks. Tips and tricks makes it sound like I'm trying to help you study for a final exam. This is something a little more complicated than that. Strategies. I want to say this first. If you have grief over something, and you can call it anything you want, sadness, deep sorrow, grief, heartbreak, whatever you want to call it, kind of all falls into that pile of grief. No one gets to tell you otherwise. No one gets to tell you that's not grief or how 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 could you feel how could you be grieving over that? You, you have you've never experienced x y and z. Have them insert probably whatever horrible thing that they've experienced and the comparative storytelling can start. And just if you have grief around something, you have grief around it, period, period, end of story. Sometimes we have grief around things that we didn't realize we needed them so much in our life or wanted it so much in our life until it's gone. So it can kind of take us by surprise. Sometimes grief can have us feeling lost. And sometimes you can have grief around something and you don't want it back. So for instance, 
you know, a lot of times we think about grief as losing something important to us that we desperately wish we could have back and have forever. That's valid. And sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes, you know, say you were at a job for 15 years or something like that, and you end up leaving that job because you found a better company, better pay, or you make a complete career transition and you feel grief over (laughs) leaving this other job. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you want it back, but you want to go back to that other job. Like you're excited about this new endeavor that you have. Both can be true. It's the same with, I think this comes up a lot in relationships, especially when you are the one to make the decision to go, or it's a mutual decision where both things are true. You can know deep in your inner wisdom that it's the right thing to do to move on from the relationship, but also feel deep sorrow and grief and sadness over leaving the relationship behind. It doesn't have to be black or white, one or the other. And I think that goes for all emotions and not to not to get too far off on a tangent, but one of the things that's been helpful for me to learn in learning how to process my emotions and having more emotional agility and intelligence is to know that many different feelings can happen at the same time, or sometimes you go back and forth between them. Sometimes they revisit you like old friends just when you thought you were done. Okay, so I've come up with this list of four strategies that I think might be helpful. And the first one may seem super obvious, and I've I've kind of mentioned it already in this introduction, but acknowledge the grief. Don't dismiss it. Or if you find yourself saying things like, I shouldn't be this upset about it, I should be over this by now, just notice that you're saying it kind of like, you know, when I when I tell you guys that tool of like, notice your negative self-talk, it's sort of like when meditation teachers talk about when you're practicing a meditation, when you're practicing meditating and your thoughts come in, just notice them like clouds passing in the sky, like there's some clouds. So you don't have to make it mean anything. You don't have to tell yourself that you're doing it wrong. You don't have to follow the clouds. <laughs> But you also don't have to beat them out with a broom. No, just notice. Acknowledge if you are judging yourself or having the grief and understand that whatever your feelings are, they're just your feelings. They're just feelings. It's just, as I always tell you guys, it's your body's way of taking care of itself. And the whole step of acknowledging is usually the first step in anything that I'm talking to you about. Remember when I talked in, I think it was the beginning of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. I'm sure you all remember because you have it memorized like I do. No, I don't even have it memorized. But when I gave that metaphor of walking into a kitchen the night after you have a party and trying to clean it up with all the lights off and you you have no practice doing this before, it would be a whole lot easier if you turn the lights on to be able to see what you need to clean up. And that's the same with most of the personal development tools and strategies that I give you. It's like, you have to acknowledge what's there. And sometimes that can be the hardest part. It's just like looking at all the stuff, looking at all the stuff. Okay. So acknowledge it. 
Around the topic of acknowledging it, I want to emphasize that you know, this person suggested the topic of of specifically grieving changes, which I think many times the type of grief around changes are things that we weren't expecting. I made a social media post. I posted it on TikTok and, and Instagram. Um, if you want to go back and look for it, it is, when did I post it? Probably my son's birthday, August 11th. And I talked about how strange it is to have these birthdays as especially I think as your kids, I have found them to be a little bit harder. You know, for those of you who are parents, maybe you can relate. The more they get into their teens and like the countdown begins of how much time I have left with them. Generally speaking, who knows? You know, I may have a kid who's at home until they're 27. You never know. But one of the things that sort of took me by surprise in terms of parenting and all these sort of milestones that our kids hit. I had grief around my kids losing their baby teeth, especially the first few baby teeth, because I feel like when children start to grow in their adult teeth, it changes their whole face. And when I look back at pictures, you know, my daughter's kindergarten picture hangs on our refrigerator and I, you know, she's got her baby teeth in the picture and their teeth are just so tiny. And they're just like, they have these like these little little kid teeth, little baby teeth. And once they lose them, it's like, oh, your whole face is different. Like you, th- these are the, these are the grown up teeth that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And you only get that set of adult teeth. For some reason, it that was something that I had grief around. And at the time it felt kind of silly, but what I would go back and tell my former self is like, yeah, it's, it's legit. Your grief is legit. But I digress. In that particular social media post, I talked about how my neighbor, I was having a conversation with her and she, her kids are grown. And she said, one of the things that she kind of didn't realize when her kids were younger is how short of a time it is that you're going to have a relationship with your children when they are young. And that the majority of the relationship that you have with your children is when they are adults. That's going to be the majority of it. And it's things like that that I just, you just don't think about. You just don't think about it and because you don't have to until you are in it. And then sometimes it's too late. And I just, I just don't think there is a way for us to avoid the feelings of grief around our children getting older and not being children anymore. I think it's just part of parenting. And even if you're not parents, if you're an aunt or if you are a, an honorary aunt, there's still grief around that. So I just want to, again, just acknowledge that. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I am going to do the last three strategies. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right. The second one is directly related to the first one, and that is feel whatever you feel. Don't make yourself wrong for it and allow those emotions to come and know that they may circle back around over and over again. I think sometimes when we go through something difficult and we have grief around it, we're like, you know, and then the grief starts to subside. You're like, oh, I'm glad that's over. And then something else kicks it up. I mentioned in my Instagram stories that or no, I, I made a I made an Instagram reel about it. How what's interesting to me as I walk through this divorce, and this didn't happen to me the first time I got divorced. I love saying that. Like I've been divorced like five times. But this time it's kicked up some of my stuff around when my parents got divorced 30 years ago. I mean, not a lot, but a little bit. And it's just sort of surprising. And I, I think a long time ago, I would have made myself wrong for it and been like, that's stupid. That happened so long ago. Like, why would I even think about that? That's dumb. But like, no, 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 no. The emotions circle back over and over again. It was a hard time in my life. My inner teenager still has some some layers about it. So again, feel whatever you feel. Don't make yourself wrong for it. And know those emotions may circle back over and over again. That's why they call it the grief cycle not the grief line. It's not linear. It is sometimes messy. Okay, here's the third one. And this is my favorite. I'm going to probably spend a little bit of time here. And uh, I really want to point to what our, our listener <laughs> said in her example when she said grieving changes like kids aging and experiences you thought you'd have by a certain age. Mm-hmm. Because do you think that I thought I would be here at 48, getting my second divorce. My life is a little messy, which I'll tell you more about that later. <laughs> For legal reasons right now, I cannot. But this is definitely not where I thought I would be, that I would be burning it all down into a bunch of ash and then have to begin the rebuilding process. No. So I'm with you. I am I am in that place of didn't think I'd be here at a certain age. And so here's the strategy. And I'm going to be very transparent here when I tell you what I'm about to talk about. I'm leaving you in such suspense. What I'm about to talk about is one of my hardest learning lessons. Made it made a TikTok and an Instagram reel about this too. It is working on detachment. As you know, I've mentioned, 
a hundred thousand times here on the podcast that I got the word surrender tattooed on my arm in 2016 when my dad died because grief, because I realized that I don't like to surrender. No, ma'am. I like to have an itinerary. I like to have certainty. I like to have a, a schedule, if you will. I like to be attached to outcomes. I especially am attached to those outcomes being in my favor and going the way I think they should go. <laughs> because I like to be the boss of my life and I think I know what's best. I also many times think I know it's best for everyone else. That's when I really get in trouble. And that's called codependence. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about working on detachment. Because many times we feel like if we have this or if we have that, if we have this job or that relationship or that kind of child or that amount of money, that type of house, will make us happier, it will make us more fulfilled, and it will make us more successful. And I'm not talking about like, you know, making enough money so you can survive and feed yourself and your family and house yourself, like, of course, all of that. But I think beyond that, we tend to get attached to certain things so much that when life throws us a curveball, an experience that we didn't see coming, or maybe that we even did see coming, we just didn't realize how hard it was going to be, or maybe we did, whatever. When we get thrown these experiences that we don't have control over, where we have to just ride it out, oh, I don't know about you guys, but damn, I go kicking and screaming. And you know what's interesting? You know, as I'm in this this place right now, I think back to my life in 2006, and I've told you this story again, a hundred thousand times. You know, those moments in your life, and maybe they're not moments, they're like <laughs> big chunks of time where there was a before and an after. So, I mean, for many of you, it, that could be 9-11, that could be any number of major life transitions. For me, it was definitely 2006 when I got divorced the first time and then had a another horrible relationship after that and found myself burning it all down and starting all over. And then 2016, when my dad died, those are two years that definitely there was a before and after. And here I am in another one in 2023. And it's interesting because like, I look back, especially if I think about 2006 and I'm like, yeah, that was a rough, that was rough. That was the roughest year I had had up until that point. And I know I got through it. I know it wasn't easy. I even know the strategies that I employed at that time, given the very few personal development strategies that I had. And I was not an evolved human. That was like the very big, I was a baby personal development girl, woman. And I made it. I made it through to the other side. Burned. Beat up. <laughs> but I made it. And even knowing that, even knowing that walking into 2023, I have felt like life took me by the wrist and like pulled me so hard, pulled my shoulder out of the socket, 
you know, I hit some trees along the way. It, life is just like running me through a forest and they, and it runs like way faster than I do. And I'm like, cannot keep up and I'm getting beat up. And not only that, but the, I have moments of, it's gotten better, but especially like when it's been really bad and I might face it again, where I have emotional terror. Have you guys ever been in that place? Like the emotional terror of uncertainty, of pain and drama going on. It makes me kind of sweaty even just thinking about it. And so being unattached and just trusting that. And and, and also, P.S., I have smart, wise friends that are cheering me on and saying, you know, it's not going to be like this forever. That's what I keep telling people to tell me. They're like, how can I support you? I'm like, I need you to keep telling me that this is temporary and that I'm not going to be here forever because our minds try to convince us that it's it's going to be like this forever. And I want to sort of add on and give you another kind of piece of advice if you're in those really dark place pl- places like like I've been and hopefully they're few and far between as they have been for me but those are the moments I've talked about this before and like how I got through my first divorce those are the moments I have to take it one hour at a time cuz people are like oh just one day at a time and I'm like mm, that feels so hard <laughs> let me just take it one hour at a time let me just get to 11am let me just get to noon what do I need to do? One of the things I've employed this time is I love Glennon Doyle's mantra of just do the next right thing. Cause there's been moments where I'm like, so like spinning in my own emotional terror. I'm just going to start using that term for, it just came to me. <laughs> Maybe that's the title of my next book. Emotional terror, a memoir by Andrea Owen. But in those moments of emotional terror, I have to, tell myself, and I say it out loud. I was like, hey, what is the next right thing? The next right thing is to brush my teeth. The next right thing is to wash my face and just do these small steps of moving through that emotional terror so that I can just get through the hour and then lay my head down at the end of the night and then start the next day and keep going, putting one step in front of the other. That's That's how I do it. I don't have any better strategy. You cannot positive mantra your way out of those moments. You cannot affirmation your way through. Maybe some people can yoga their way through it. You can try that. Anyway, I kind of got off on a little tangent. We're talking about like grieving changes, but anyway, I just, I wonder if, you know, some of you are kind of in that same place. So I see you. I hear you. All right. I didn't realize how how long I've been talking. I do need to take one more break. And then when we get back, I'm probably going to talk a little bit more about detachment before I move into the last one. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. 
dog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term Time partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. I just want to like really reemphasize how hard it can be, especially for high achieving anxiety prone women to be detached, to surrender, to just let go and ride it out. Another thing that I do that's been a little bit helpful, and I cannot do this in moments that are acute, you know, where I'm really in it and it's raw, but taking a step outside of it is I'm able to try and get curious about it. You know, like, what is it about this that's so hard for me? What is it about this that's so terrifying? Like, also, I get stuck spinning in stories. My friend Kate <laughs> Anthony says, I like to fall on the same sword over and over again. And so I ask myself, and this is kind of coaching 101, like, okay, what are some other outcomes? What are some other possibilities? And and also just letting other people have their own experience. because. I want them to do it differently. I want them to feel differently. I want them to behave differently. And my friend Samantha Bennett says, sometimes the best work we can do is to challenge ourselves not to have feelings about other people's feelings. What? <laughs> I'm not saying run out and do that, that it's easy, but challenge yourself to not have feelings about other people's feelings. Gosh, that that work of detachment, that is going to be a lifelong uh, learning module for me. I am super curious who else is with me. Who's Who's with me on letting go? Letting go. And that also coincides with those of you who are parents, letting go of our children when they move into their teenage years and start to pull away from us, which is completely normal for that age and eventually leave home, whether they go to college or, or do something else, but that letting go and letting them have their own experience and have their own life and make their own decisions and make their own mistakes, go through their own heartbreaks and all of those things. That's that law of detachment. Not law of detachment. That's that's talk. That's manifestation talk. Work of detachment. I want to say. All right. And the last one, as you grieve changes, no matter what those changes are, is maybe you guessed it, the J word, and that is to journal. <laughs> Did you know I was going to say that? Not just journal, but it's all in the realm of processing what's going on. So maybe it's talking to people who, and this is the important part of this, 
talking to people who specifically make you feel seen and heard around this topic. And sometimes this is trial and error, finding those people. Sometimes we reach out and we seek solace from people who either continuously or sometimes disappoint us and can't or won't show up for us emotionally the way that we need them to. And I just want to acknowledge how hard that is. And sometimes you're in such an acute place, you don't have the capacity and the patience and the compassion to help them help you. You know, I talk about teaching people how to support you and like having those conversations. Having that conversation with someone usually isn't great to do when you are in it. I like to say when you're in the weeds and the weeds are on fire. No, it usually is best to do during a time when you're not in it or if whatever it is that you're in isn't incredibly difficult to have that conversation about how they can support you and then ask how you can support them. So it's okay if you don't have the capacity (laughs) to help someone help you in those moments. So it's best to look for people who have been at least mostly consistent and maybe you preface the conversation with what it is that you need before you talk about it, or maybe it's your therapist, which is usually a great bet. And many times it's your journal to get the feelings out. I know personally, I can't make sense of things until I write it out. And throughout this thing, I've sometimes had to force myself to journal partly because it's so fucking painful. I don't want to write about it. I don't want to write about my feelings. It's hard enough having them live inside me. It's hard enough having this emotional tear course through my body. And now I have to write about it. I have to, I have to type out my feelings and type out the words and make them tangible and real. But I force myself to do it. And you know what? <laughs> it always helps. I think because it allows us to, and you can look at this in a couple of different ways. Some people look at it as making art out of their pain, or some people look at it as, as articulating what's going on in their head and in their body, even though you're you're writing about it. But you never know what could come up when you start journaling. And it can look any way that you want it to. It can be stream of consciousness. It can be writing letters to the people who are involved in your grief. It really could be however you want. And, and sometimes journaling is just a sentence and just see what happens. If you're having a really hard time committing to it or or even starting, just commit to one sentence and see what happens. And you can easily Google journaling prompts for grief to get you started because some people freeze when it comes to journaling. Like, I don't know what to say. There's so much to say, but you don't know where to start. Just do a quick Google search of journal prompts for grief. You can even be more specific. Journal prompts for grieving changes. Get as specific as you want. So thank you so much for being here. Again, this ended up being a little bit longer than I had anticipated. Um, but thank you for joining me, not just on this mini-sode, but just for life in general. I 
cannot believe I've been doing this for over 10 years, 10 and a half years. And many of you have been with me the whole time. So I am deeply honored that you choose to spend your time with me more than I could ever express to you. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes, andreaowen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.